Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Tiffany Meyer in for Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. The Supreme Court hands a victory to Alabama's black voters. They decided the Republican-led lawmakers discriminated against them. The FBI director dodges contempt charges. We'll tell you why the House Oversight Committee canceled the hearing and hear from lawmakers about their next steps in the investigation into the Biden family. The U.S. and the U.K. unveil a new economic agreement to counter China and President Biden's latest comments on the smoke coming from Canadian wildfires. The latest on January 6th, plainclothes police were at the Capitol, according to leaked footage. And a Hollywood actor is facing criminal charges for his involvement. And California's governor is proposing a new amendment to the U.S. Constitution. His plan, more gun control on the federal level. In a major victory for black voters in Alabama, the Supreme Court today ruled that the state discriminated against them when it drew seven congressional districts last year. The decision means the state will have to go back to the drawing board. NTD's Arlene Richards has the details. Alabama's black voters celebrated a victory on Thursday after the Supreme Court released its opinion in a case that accused the state of violating Section 2 of the Voters' Rights Act. Section 2 addresses the rights of people of all races to have access to voting. In a 5-4 to four majority decision, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote that Alabama's new redistricting map was likely a violation of the act. Some lawmakers responded to the decision. It appears to be an affirmation that the Voting Rights Act is the law of the land and it is illegal to engage in race-based gerrymandering. I think Chief Justice Roberts, I really believe he understands in history's uh, view, this is his court and what they put together now, he's going to be held accountable for. The issue in the case was whether or not a congressional district map drawn by the Republican-led legislature in 2021 should have had two majority black districts rather than just one. Plaintiffs, a group of black voters and civil rights organizations, claim the map diluted black Alabamians' voting power. Under the new map, black voters comprising 55% of the voting age population were packed into one district. The remaining black voters were spread across three districts. Because black voters account for a quarter of the population, plaintiffs submitted several alternative maps in which black voters were either the majority or near majority in two districts. Alabama argued that the alternative maps prioritized race over the state's traditional redistricting criteria. But plaintiffs responded that it is possible to simultaneously have two black districts and observe these criteria. Chief Justice Roberts and four other justices agreed with plaintiffs. In a dissenting opinion, Justice Clarence Thomas took issue with how Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act was applied. He wrote that the act's definition of vote and voting plainly focuses on ballot access and counting rather than carving the country into racially designated electoral districts. The court's decision affirmed a lower court ruling that requires Alabama to draw a new map with two districts where black voters comprise a majority. Arlene Richards, NTD News. 
In the final hour, just before FBI Director Christopher Wray would face contempt charges in Congress, the FBI cooperated with House Republicans. Now, all lawmakers on the House Oversight Committee have reviewed a document that alleges a multi-million dollar Biden family money laundering scheme. Entities Melina Weisskopf spoke with committee members after they viewed the document. From what we gather, the money trail stretches further than just $5 million. And in this document, it pertains references to other documents and wire transfers that the committee will now pursue from the FBI to further their investigation. I asked multiple lawmakers coming out from that viewing if there was any anything new that uncovers new details about President Biden's direct involvement here. Here's how a few of them summed it up wire transfers directly attributed to the person making the payments to President Biden. Person or persons making the payments were coerced to do it. We have Joe Biden as president. Are we being drugged into this war in Ukraine because of more information that they have on Joe Biden? I mean, I think that is terrifying. And there's absolutely a reason for the shell companies. And uh, I think it's it's unforgivable that the FBI won't tell us what they've done to investigate this. Although this directly contrasts with the way Democrats view it, although we weren't able to get any Democrats to come speak to us on camera today, I'll read you their official position posted on their website saying that after months of investigating Mr. Giuliani's allegations, the Trump Justice Department concluded that the evidence failed to justify further inquiry. And I asked Democrat leader Hakeem Jeffries his thoughts on the GOP canceling this hearing today to hold FBI's Christopher Wray in contempt. Here's his reaction. They have failed uh, to do any damage politically to President Biden, which is the standard by which they have themselves said. And while Republicans have canceled this contempt hearing today, they say the option is still on the table. Congresswoman Lauren Boebert eager to make this point clear. That is still available. It is currently postponed. And it is something that I'm going to be pushing for if he does not release this very important information to the American people. And I followed up with Congressman Andy Biggs on this point. He said that they will see how well the FBI continues to cooperate with the committee, and that will determine whether or not they try to pursue another contempt hearing in the future. We know that the committee will be pursuing more documents from the FBI as they continue this investigation. They're pursuing the documents that are referred to within this specific document. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskup, NTD News. The U.S. and the U.K. have struck a new partnership to bolster economic ties amid China's growing influence. The two nations are also vowing to work together on artificial intelligence. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. Good evening, Tiff. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak visited the White House for the first time after getting his job last year. And the two leaders vowed to strengthen what they called an indispensable relationship between the U.S. and the U.K., and they announced a fresh economic agreement to counter rising threats from China and Russia. And I'm confident the United Kingdom and the United States will continue to lead the world toward greater peace, prosperity, and security for all. Countries like China and Russia are willing to manipulate and exploit our openness, steal our intellectual property. They will not succeed. 
The agreement is called the Atlantic Declaration. It's meant to tackle some of the existing trade barriers as well as to strengthen defense ties. It's not a full trade agreement, however, but the British Prime Minister says it's more targeted and thus more effective. So that they can trade and do business in the U.S. far easier. And the two leaders also vowed to back Ukraine and to work together on addressing safety concerns over artificial intelligence. We're looking to uh, Great Britain to help lead that effort to figure out a way through this. And aside from talking about global issues, President Biden also touched on perhaps what's on everyone's mind right now, and that's the bad air quality and coming from wildfires in Canada. And President Biden says he talked to Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, and he says he sent firefighters to Canada and is urging Americans to check for real-time updates on the website called airnow.gov. Reporting from the White House, at Rust Howe, NTD News. And President Biden will be unveiling a new federal coordinator aimed at addressing the removal of books featuring LGBTQ content at the state and local level. The Biden administration announced a slew of new actions today that it says will protect LGBTQ Americans. Among those actions, the Department of Education will appoint a new coordinator. This individual will be specifically tasked with combating the removal of LGBTQ books from school libraries and classrooms. In a press conference today, Biden referred to such book removals as prejudiced and unjustified. Other actions Biden announced include a partnership among federal agencies to provide training and resources for LGBTQ Americans. The new actions come as Biden is expected to host the White House's largest LGBTQ Pride celebration on Saturday. Next, it's confirmed police officers in plain clothes were spotted at the Capitol on January 6th. And a Hollywood actor who was in the crowd that day is now being charged with a felony. NTD's Sam Wong has more. Leaked body cam footage shows officers wearing blue wristbands appear to be tagging along with the crowd while helping demonstrators climb up the scaffolding at the Capitol on January 6th. Keep going! Keep going! Keep going! And this clip shows what appears to be an undercover agent walking past a police line without being stopped. Congressman Barry Loudermilk, chairman of the House Subcommittee on Oversight, said that the footage was authentic. He questioned the purpose of having law enforcement officers on the scene, asking why did the MPD, Metropolitan Police Department, decide to put undercover officers in the crowd? Loudermilk also requested a list of MPD officers who were involved in the incident, along with their assignments and other details, such as whether they were in plain clothes or in uniform. According to committee staff, the MPD is working with the request, but further details are not yet available to the public. As the January 6th investigation continues, more arrests are underway. Jay Johnston, an actor known for his role in Arrested Development and Bob's Burger, is now facing charges for his involvement in the incident. He was reportedly arrested in California on Wednesday, and the DOJ charged him with felony obstruction of officers during civil disorder and a number of misdemeanors. Back in 2021, the FBI tweeted a photo of Johnston dressed in camouflage at the Capitol and asked for additional information on his identity. According to court documents, Johnson entered the Capitol through the Upper West Tunnel and helped at least three other protesters by pouring water on their faces after they were pepper sprayed. An FBI affidavit says that Johnson passed a stolen police shield to protesters during the incident. As of now, more than 1,000 arrests have been made in connection with January 6th. Sam Wong, NTD News.
California Governor Gavin Newsom is proposing a new amendment to the U.S. Constitution in an effort to curb gun violence. He says it consists of four measures and would leave the Second Amendment intact. Governor Gavin Newsom says he is proposing a 28th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution to address the nation's gun violence. This will guarantee states as well the ability to enact common-sense gun safety laws while leaving the Second Amendment intact and respecting America's gun-owning tradition. The new amendment, quote, permanently enshrines four measures to raise the minimum wage to buy a gun to 21, have universal background checks, set a waiting period for gun purchases, and ban civilians from buying what he calls assault weapons. In response, the National Association for Gun Rights wrote on Twitter, if trying to repeal an amendment from the Bill of Rights doesn't make you a tyrant, I don't know what does. According to the National Archive on the constitutional amendment process, an amendment would need two-thirds majority vote in both the House of Representatives and the Senate or by a constitutional convention called for by two-thirds of the state legislatures. Up next, back to Cold War tactics. China is reportedly constructing an outpost in Cuba to spy on the southeastern U.S. The Biden administration is reportedly ending familial DNA tests for illegal immigrants at the southern border. Why was the policy put in place and what does ending it mean for border security? And in France, four toddlers and two adults were stabbed in normally quiet city. A suspect, a Syrian refugee, has been arrested by police. More in just a moment here on NTD News. Welcome back. China is reportedly building a base in Cuba to spy on the U.S. However, the Pentagon denies that, saying the reports are not true. NTD's Arian Pastar spoke with a retired Army colonel. The Wall Street Journal on Thursday reported that China is building an outpost in Cuba. That's according to U.S. officials who say China will use the location to spy on the southeastern United States. The two communist countries reportedly came to an agreement after China agreed to pay cash-stripped Cuba several billion dollars. Have they introduced missiles into Cuba? The Chinese have been very typical about openly arming their facilities, whether it's the South China Seas, whether it's their fortress in Djibouti. John Mills is a retired army colonel and author of the book The Nation Will Follow. He says China most likely already has such outposts in Cuba and the Bahamas and that the U.S. should react. With China expanding in in this area close to the U.S. mainland, how could the U.S. push back to prevent this from happening? Well, first of all, we, let's let's put an ambassador in the Bahamas, encourage the Bahamas to throw out China. That would be a good pushback. That's not Cuba, but it's right next to Cuba, and it would send a message. We also should demonstrably and visibly rearm southern Florida. He says this reported base reminds him of the Cold War, when the Soviet Union used Cuba to store missiles. According to Mills, southern Florida was heavily armed during that period of time. But now? We don't have any aircraft interceptors. We don't have any naval ships. Obviously, we don't really care. That's the message. Mills added that the U.S. should also expand influence in Panama because down there. The Chinese have a much stronger presence. And to get to Cuba, they got to go through the Panama Canal. However, the Pentagon on Thursday said it's not aware of any Chinese base in this region. 
that that is not accurate, uh, that, that we are not aware of China and Cuba uh, developing any type of spy station. Separately, I would say that the relationship that those two countries share is something that we continuously monitor. The State Department told NTD it can't confirm China's plans, but added we monitor it closely, take steps to counter it, and remain confident that we are able to meet all our security commitments. Republican Congressman Mike Gallagher commented on the report of the Chinese base, saying we must make it clear that, as President Kennedy said over 60 years ago on the eve of a previous crisis in Cuba, one path we shall never choose, and that is the path of surrender or submission. Ariane Pastar. NTD News. The border crisis back in the spotlight. The Biden administration feeling the heat. That's after a leaked memo from the Border Patrol shows an end to familial DNA testing. That's amid reports of migrant child exploitation and trafficking. Here to help us understand this is Todd Bensman, Senior National Security Fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. Todd Bensman, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Good to be here. There's a lot of buzz around familial DNA testing at the southern border. Now, reports are indicating that as many as one in three adults who come over the border are actually bringing children who aren't their own. So what role does this DNA testing play in combating child trafficking? So rapid DNA testing was first rolled out in 2019. Uh, We were having uh, a, a very significant border surge of families uh, under the Trump administration for various reasons. Uh, The uh, federal law enforcement agencies very soon picked up on the fact that a lot of the adults were coming in with children that were not theirs. So they instituted rapid DNA testing uh, where they would just put a relatively small percentage of all the families through it. You'd have to swab the cheek and 30 minutes later, it was like either a match or not, and then you were in trouble. Uh, That was all it took uh, to end the uh, fake family phenomenon, the the phenomenon of that happening. Uh, Just the possibility that they were going to run you through that uh, was enough to shut the whole thing down. Uh, And then the Biden administration came in and eliminated the whole thing. Uh, They just drove the final stake through the, uh, the, the last remnant of the beating heart of uh, rapid DNA testing uh, with no explanation. It was a leaked memo that was like a paragraph, uh, no explanation whatsoever, which just opens the door completely, reopens it to uh, child abuse on a on a very significant scale. Families are now crossing in large numbers again, uh, and this is the exact time that you want to have rapid DNA testing of proven effectiveness and deterrence. But they eliminated it. And Todd, you've been down to the border several times. What have you seen in terms of this on the ground? Well, I see a lot of families being uh, very quickly processed in, not asked really any questions, uh, not um, having to uh, prove their stories or their familial relationships. Uh, Yeah, this is my son. This is my daughter. And then they're uh, processed within 24 or 48 hours right into the to the country uh, with whatever kids that, that got them in here. Uh, because if you come in with a kid, you're guaranteed to be released into the American heartland immediately uh, under all the new rules, post-42 rules. 
so uh, I don't really know. I mean, I, I, I can't tell by looking at people whether that, you know, I just know that there, here's like some adults with a whole bunch of kids all around them and there's who knows. Right. And that's the problem. Who knows? And Todd, expanding on that, what role does the administration have being responsible for the safety of these children once they've crossed into the states? Well, this was a, such an easy fix. I mean, there was no, there's no reason at all uh, why you wouldn't want to have rapid DNA testing uh, on the border. None. This is a, a kind of a, of a tool that Democrats and Republicans all should agree on. We have Lots of uh, evidence that children before DNA testing were abused and neglected uh, and and put to work uh, under forced labor conditions and involuntary servitude. And we're looking for sure guaranteed. We just guaranteed that fate for untold hundreds, if not thousands of children that are being brought in by irresponsible miscreant adults. And really quickly at the end, what's the solution here? Put the DNA testing back and not only put it back, but treble and quadruple it. Put it everywhere. Make every single family have to go through that DNA testing, number one. And number two, if you're going to be processing uh, a bunch of unaccompanied minors and uh, families with children, you're trying to put them with families uh, or foster uh, uh, volunteers, uh, put together a cadre that will go in and check on them to make sure that they're not being abused and to look for signs of forced labor or sexual exploitation and all the rest of that. Because I guarantee you that for the next 10 years, we are going to be uh, seeing prosecutions of these foster families for all sorts of evils that they've conducted against these children's for the sake of protecting the Biden administration from a Fox News drone. Todd Bensman, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. We reached out to Customs and Border Protection to confirm if they're ending the DNA testing and why, but they didn't provide answers to those questions. And more international news, four toddlers and two adults were stabbed by a Syrian refugee in a quiet eastern city in France this morning. The toddlers are all in critical condition. NTD's France correspondent David Vives has the details and a warning that some viewers may find the content in the following story disturbing. A Syrian national wounded four young children and two adults in a knife attack in a park on Thursday. That's according to police in the southeastern French town of Annecy. The children are all in critical condition. An investigative source said the stabber's motives are unclear, adding that anti-terrorism authorities aren't leading the investigation at this stage. We are shocked by this heinous, unspeakable act. When it affects children, I think we are all affected profoundly, and today our whole country is in shock. Among the victims, I have two children aged two, one who's 22 months old and one who's three years old. The park where the attack took place is usually a tranquil place popular with tourists for its stunning views of a lake and surrounding mountains. A witness reported to France Info he saw police officers chasing a man who stabbed a senior. The officers then opened fire on the individual who fell on the ground. Prime Minister Elisabeth Bond said on Twitter that the attacker has been arrested. 
A policeman spokesman said the attacker was a 31-year-old Syrian asylum seeker who carried Swedish identity documents. French President Emmanuel Macron on Twitter called the attack an act of absolute cowardice. France has been shocked by a number of violent incidents over the past few months, including the fatal stabbing last month of a nurse in the northern city of France and the beheading in October of a 12-year-old girl in Paris. David Duves, NTD News, Paris. Now turning our attention to the conflict in Ukraine, the water level at a reservoir in southern Ukraine has become dangerously low after the destruction of a dam earlier this week. The dam collapse on Tuesday unleashed floodwaters from the Dnipro River over a wide area of southern Ukraine. Ukraine and Russia blamed each other for the dam's destruction. The head of Ukraine's hydropower company warned that if water at a local reservoir drops below the current level, it could impact a nearby nuclear power station. In that case, the nuclear plant, which is the largest in Europe, wouldn't have any water intake for its cooling ponds. Ukraine's nuclear energy company said the situation at the nuclear power plant is still stable and under control as of today. Coming up, lawmakers are taking a closer look at the rising mental health challenges among youth. What's triggering the crisis and are there solutions? And Muslim parents in Maryland are banding together to oppose mandatory LGBTQ policies in schools. We hear from one parent who's pushing for an opt-out option for children after the break. Welcome back. Lawmakers are looking for solutions to the mental health crisis facing America's youth. In a hearing today, witnesses shared their insights on how to help solve the crisis. And it is Jason Perry reports. Mental health is the number one problem in this country. Number one problem. And uh, we have to, and because it leads to everything else. Lawmakers on the Senate Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions held a hearing on the mental health crisis among America's youth. According to a recent survey by the Centers for Disease Control, nearly one out of every three teenagers in America reported that the state of their mental health was poor. Two out of every five teenagers felt persistently sad or hopeless and Tragically, one out of every five teenagers in our country have seriously considered suicide. U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy explained one of the likely causes affecting mental health. Uh, The time young people ages 15 through 24 spend in person with friends declined by more than 50 percent from 2003 to 2019. The head of education in Connecticut explained how expanding after-school and summer programs can give students more time with friends and, if needed, behavioral therapists. And the deputy assistant secretary of the Office of Special Education and Rehabilitative Services shared another way to bring the health care professionals to the students. She mentioned in Delaware there is an elementary school where the children's hospital runs a clinic on the campus. The year before the the, the clinic was on staff, they had more than a thousand instances of bis- disruptive behavior that resulted in suspensions. The first year of the center, that thousand number went down to a hundred, and now they're virtually none. But Senator Roger Marshall says all of these solutions are like pumping blood into a bleeding patient without first stopping the bleeding. You know the greatest healthcare mistake the NIH and CDC ever did 
was locking our youth out of schools, and that launched this mental health epidemic that we have, you know, irrefutable damage to our children's mental health, and I hope the CDC will own that someday. And he added this. And instead of our children talking to their their friends, their colleagues, their teachers, their coaches, they talked to social media. That became uh, their best friend. He went on to say that social media should have a Surgeon General's warning about its mental health impact. And Jason, did they discuss any details of how social media is affecting the youth? Um, thank you, Tim, for that question. Um, yes, the Surgeon General pointed out specifically for anyone that spends more than three hours per day on social media, it doubles their risk of, uh, doubles their risk of anxiety and depression. And he says this is quite worrisome because the teenagers today spend more than three and a half hours on social media every day. And Jason, on the flip side, what about parents? What can parents do to protect their children from the possible harms of social media? Um, well, first of all, it's just to, for parents to acknowledge that social media can, can negatively affect their children and other people. And once they have this realization, to basically have a conversation with their child to let them know these harmful effects. And something else that the Surgeon General also mentioned was to create something in your house or in other places called tech-free zones, which could be, say, for example, in your dining room, where there will be no, you know, no cell phones allowed and no tablets allowed. And this is to basically encourage face-to-face -face interactions and, and normal conversations. Some good tips there and definitely an important issue to keep an eye on. Jason, thank you. Thank you. In other education news, yesterday we reported on the brawl that happened outside a school board meeting in Glendale, California, resulting in the arrest of at least three people. We're learning now that one of them is reportedly an Antifa member. NTD's David Lamb has the update. One of the people arrested at a school protest in Glendale, California, is confirmed a Los Angeles Antifa member, Eric Boyd. That's according to journalist and author Andy Ngo. L.A. County's inmate database shows that 36-year-old Eric Boyd was arrested on June 6th and released on $10,000 bail in five hours. On Twitter, Ngo said Boyd wore riot gear to the protest and has a history of organizing with Antifa in Southern California and associated with other, quote, banned Antifa violent extremists. This comes as on June 6th, several hundred people gathered for a demonstration outside of Glendale Unified's board meeting, where the board voted unanimously to proclaim June 2023 as LGBT Pride Month. Opponents say they're against policies on LGBT content on campus. Meanwhile, counter-protesters say they're trying to support LGBT youth. While the demonstration was mostly peaceful, a fight erupted between a small group. Some parents believe members from groups outside the Glendale community were present, including Antifa, a network of anti-fascist militants known for causing disruptions at public demonstrations. According to Glendale police, at least three individuals were arrested for various charges, which includes unlawful use of pepper spray and obstructing officers. Muslim students and their parents are protesting gender and sexuality curriculum in Maryland. The Montgomery County District has a mandatory LGBTQ reading list. 
And a group of Muslim parents are saying that's unconstitutional. They formed a group called Coalition of Virtue and organized a rally outside the school board building on Tuesday. The school district has approved a variety of LGBTQ-related books for grades as young as pre-K to high school. But they've also made a no-opt-out policy for those books. Many Muslim parents and students have publicly opposed the mandatory curriculum and have even been called white supremacists for doing so. Here's what some students have to say about it. The issue of gender and sexuality are influenced by our faith, and we should not be caricatured as intolerant. There are over 40 kids that I know who don't want to learn this and really want to be here talking today but can't because they are being bullied. And for more on this, NTD's Jack Bradley spoke with Asra Nomani, who was at the Tuesday protest. She's also the author of Woke Army and senior fellow at the Independent Women's Network. Asra Nomani, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Jack. So Tuesday's rally was organized by a group of Muslim parents uh, who recently founded the group Coalition of Virtue. Can you tell us more about this group and uh, why they're protesting? Yeah, this is just an amazing group with so much energy. They are ordinary mama bears and papa bears, like all parents across the country. And they, like so many parents, became accidental activists in recent months because local school board in Montgomery County, Maryland, decided that they were not going to let these parents opt their children out of age-inappropriate sexual curriculum. What they're doing is they are fighting for parental rights. And the simple idea that a parent has the right to choose what their children learn on these very sensitive topics. And uh, I, I was just so impressed by their energy and their clarity and their moral courage. Right. So this group has a diverse group of members from uh, Muslims to Ethiopian Orthodox Christians. So what are the common values that these parents share and what motivated them to come together? So their common value is a simple idea of virtue, this idea that Clarity of thought doesn't have to include this confusion, confusing questions about sexuality and gender to children as young as four years old. And what they are connected by with parents everywhere is this idea that there is a sacred relationship between the parent and the child, and it is the parent's role to parent. And it's not the job of the school systems to try to teach these very deep and personal issues about sexuality and gender. And so what these parents are doing is reclaiming that sacred responsibility that so many of us have considered a divine responsibility. How widespread do you think this sentiment is across the Muslim American community? So parents in Michigan and in Minnesota have also woken up in the Muslim communities, and they have been going to their school boards and standing up. And what is so profound right now is that this is the worst nightmare for some of the activists who have used intersectionality to basically claim Muslims as part of their allegiance. And what these Muslim parents are saying is, no, you are coming after our kids, and we are not going to participate in this hijacking of childhood. And so this movement is going to be a deciding factor, I am absolutely certain, in the election of 2024. It's going to be the wedge issue that will move many communities that have been assumed to vote certain ways into other directions, and we got to keep watching them. 
Do you expect we'll see more um, parents across different cultures pushing back against what, what you call the woke agenda? Oh, absolutely. You know, the day of the protest in Montgomery County, Maryland, we had Armenian immigrant parents protesting in Glendale, California and Southern California. And we have similar protests planned by parents all across the country. Because what has happened is that parents from many immigrant communities have come to see that this woke army, as I call them, has their children in the crosshairs. And that is something that no parent will accept. But for many of these parents, children and family is you know, such a fundamental value, as sacred as religion and faith and, uh, and personal self. And so this is going to just catch like wildfire across the country. And you can expect that this coalition of virtue, for example, will mobilize parents everywhere. Asra Namani, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Jack. Up next, dangerous levels of air pollution in northeastern United States and the mid-Atlantic region. Authorities are warning residents to avoid outdoor activities and mask up. In business news, GameStop stock prices plummet. Why is everyone paying attention to the gaming company? NTD's Don Ma has the analysis. And in the golf world, more questions regarding the merger. Does Live Golf still have a future? Hear what CEO Greg Norman has to say when we come back. Welcome back. Smoke from Canadian wildfires continues to move south, reaching the mid-Atlantic region today. Authorities are issuing air quality warnings. Around 75 million people in the U.S. are currently experiencing dangerous air conditions. Officials in D.C. today issued a code purple air quality alert, meaning the air is, quote, very unhealthy for everyone. Public schools canceled outdoor activities and the district suspended some city services due to the air pollution. Air quality in New York and Philadelphia is improving slightly but still unhealthy. New York City has extended the air quality health advisory till the end of Friday. Forecasts show that dangerous air conditions could linger for days but are expected to slowly improve across the east heading into the weekend. Because of all the wildfire smoke in the air, many are concerned about the health impact. And there can be serious health consequences if people don't protect themselves. NTD's Faye Quarter tells us how. Wildfire smoke can cause health problems. In the short term, it could lead to dizziness, breathing difficulties, nausea, headache, or burning eyes. In the long term, it could lead to lung cancer. If you already have health problems, the smoke may make them worse. It's similar uh, to smoking. If you think about that, if you're, if you're smoking a cigarette, you're inhaling smoke. So it's very similar, but on a grander scale. Christine Padavan is a toxicity expert at Paladina International. She says the number one thing everyone should do to protect themselves is to stay indoors. But of course, the smoke can still get in, so there's more you can do. A mask with a filter, like a active charcoal or active carbon filter, that will filter out the elements as you're as you're breathing, as you're doing your work outside or walking outside. The other thing for the home is have a higher MERV filter, MERV 11 or higher. Change it out every 
at least every two weeks because of the amount of particles in the air. Potavon says we could also put on the N95 masks, which many of us had to wear during COVID. But she recommends stronger masks that have built-in filters, like base camp masks. She also recommends active pure air cleaners. Its technology was developed by NASA, but is now being used commercially. Active pure molecules work by destabilizing the shell of a virus, bacteria, or other microscopic contaminant. She says it's basically an air scrubber and that she believes it's the best way to purify the air. Bay Quarter, NTD News. In business news, GameStop shares today were down nearly 20% at their intraday high as the stock was set for its worst session in two years. This comes after the surprise exit of the company's CEO. Over the last five years, GameStop has had five CEOs and three CFOs. GameStop shares have dropped nearly 80% from their $120 peak, which was during the meme stock saga in 2021. The company reported its fourth straight fall in quarterly revenue on Wednesday. What's the significance of GameStop? NTD Business's Don Ma speaks with a video game expert. And here to talk to me about GameStop is Mrs. Fed veteran in the gaming industry. Now, my question is, why are we still talking about GameStop? I I know its stock plummeted. Uh, I mean, why is it making news right now? Um, I think it's a nostalgia thing. I think that's, you know... The gaming industry is tied to the GameStop name. They were there in the beginning. They grew with gaming, and they are the Chuck Norris of the gaming industry. So, you know, when you hear anything that's relevant to anything gaming, you go to GameStop first. If there's a new collector or, you know, limited edition, you used to go to GameStop first. So I think that nostalgia has kept everybody holding on to it in the gaming industry, and we really, really root for GameStop. It is your forefront. You know, they used to have Game Informer magazine, and then they used to have, um, you know, midnight launches. They they were the backbone to the gaming industry, and I feel like the gaming industry just kind of left without them. And because GameStop is spending so much and trying to do everything they can to stay relevant, everyone's rooting for them. So they will always stay relevant because I think everybody in the gaming industry and the pop culture industry now really wants to see them push through and, you know, make it back to the top and get up there with Amazon as far as, like, digital content. Do you, do you feel there's any parallels here with Blockbuster? Yeah, yeah, I think it, it really is the same thing. It's, you know, Netflix was the Blockbuster killer. You know, you have Netflix now, and you have that immediate sense of gratification. And I think Amazon is providing that for the gaming industry. And I think that Steam especially is providing that for the gaming industry. If I want a new game... I'm on Steam in seconds before I'm anywhere else. I will go to Steam or I will go to Battle.net way before I even check GameStop's website because I don't want to have to go and drive and get a disc. So absolutely, I think that GameStop is in the same arena as uh, Blockbuster. But I think that what Blockbuster lacked was the ability to enter into the digital arena because of, you know, their time frame. You know, this was the 90s. So GameStop still has the ability not to become, you know, the gaming blockbuster, but they need a CEO that actually sees that. And I hope the next one they get does that. Uh, some analysts are, are saying GameStop, uh, GameStop is doomed. Uh, w- what are your thoughts there? Is it? There's, there's a lot of analysts that are saying that. And um, I, I don't blame them for having that sentiment. I really don't, because if you look at, especially with the stock plummet that just happened, you have an entire board that is showing you they don't want to have any part of this anymore. Even their complete faith is gone. 
And, you know, it's because of the turnaround and all of the different CEOs and CFOs that are coming in. Nobody has a grasp on this, and they're seeing that. And I don't think that they're doomed. You know, I, I really think that the right CEO can pull this through. I really, really do. But they have to get somebody that is younger, somebody that knows the demand of digital content, somebody that brings back 90s and, you know, 2000s game stops where, you know, you had hype for new games, you had midnight launches, and you get people to go back into the store for something other than a collectible they can get on Amazon. Once they get that mentality of back of bringing gamies, the gamers together socially, GameStop will kill it. Well, all right. Thank you so much today, Mrs. Fed. Pleasure speaking to you. It's an absolute pleasure. Till next time. And now for your sports news, here's NTD's Dave Martin with a look at tonight's Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Finals. That's right, Tiff. It's the Panthers versus the Golden Knights as Las Vegas holds a 2-0 lead. Vegas has been led by journeyman goalie Aiden Hill, who's playing on his third team in three years. The 27-year-old wasn't even the starter until an injury to Laurent Brassard against the Oilers one month ago cleared the way. Since then, he's helped lead Vegas to nine wins in 12 games while posting an NHL postseason best 94% save percentage. While Florida has managed just four goals and 66 shots against him, the Golden Knights have tallied eight in two games against opposing goalie Sergei Brabrovsky, who ended up being pulled in a lopsided Game 2 loss. Tonight's game takes place in Sunrise, Florida, starting at 8 p.m. and airing on TNT. And in the golf world, the merger news Tuesday has left plenty of questions, especially regarding the future of Live Golf. Early reports suggested the agreement was between Liv, the PGA, and the DP World Tour, though others have suggested it's actually Saudi Arabia's public investment fund that has the seat at the table rather than Liv. While PGA great Rory McIlroy said he hopes Liv goes away and expects it fully will, Liv CEO Greg Norman reportedly told officials Wednesday, quote, We are and we will continue to be a standalone entity. It is business as usual for us for this year and beyond. It's important to note, though, that Norman was kept in the dark regarding these negotiations and wasn't notified until shortly before the announcement. Conversely, PGA CEO Jay Monahan will serve as CEO of the new yet-to-be-named entity. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, outside the Stanley Cup Finals, no NBA games, but six baseball games are on, including reigning Cyan winner Justin Verlander and the disappointing New York Mets, who've lost five straight games and are now seven and a half out of first place. They'll play at first place Atlanta Braves. And that is it for your sports news today. Tiff, over to you. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.